This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us, that we may gather in person to worship you. I also pray, Lord, for those who are not able to be here with us. You know their needs, and I pray that you will meet them this day. Lord, I pray that you'll be with Pastor Paul as he brings us your word. May you speak through him to us, and may we be receptive to it. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going into chapter 9 this morning in Matthew's Gospel. So have your Bible or your device open. It's a short passage. This is found in all the the synoptics. So you find it in Mark, you find it in Luke. Uh, But Matthew has the the shortest uh, account here. Uh, In fact, he he often has the shortest accounts when it comes to many things. And it's most likely because Matthew is is a long letter. It's a long book. And uh, most scholars believe that it it was nearing the end of the length of an actual scroll. And so he had to kind of be particular with, with what he included and what he didn't, as, you know, to have another scroll to, to go with it, uh, you know, that, that wasn't really cost-effective, so to speak. So just in case you were wondering about that, which you probably weren't. <clears throat> have you ever heard the, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, do you know what your problem is? Have you ever heard that? You, you may have said it to someone, you, you may have had it said to you, or you just may have overheard it. The, the idea behind that phrase is that if you or someone else just addressed that big problem and took care of it, things would be much better. Now, we are, we are imperfect, we all know that. So when we say that, or when someone else says that, it's, it's not necessarily true. But if, if the Bible shows us our big problem, we better listen. Because the words of the Bible are, are not speculations of a mere human, but the truth from our all-knowing God. Today, we're going to see that our biggest problem is sin. 
So, so let me take a minute to talk about sin because it's not a popular topic or it's not a common word even today. I think the Apostle John gives the most straightforward definition of, of sin in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, the second part of that verse. John says, sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is obviously living without the law or, or against the law. The, the law is, is the moral law of God, and we see it primarily when it was instituted. We see it in a big way when the Ten Commandments came on the scene and uh, through Moses. And, and the purpose of the law was, was not to make a stop to sin, but to identify sin. But from the Ten Commandments, we see that sin is not just things that we do, but also thoughts or attitudes that we have. For example, in Exodus 20, verse 17, we read, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So here, just the desire to steal or the, the desire toward someone else's wife is also a sin. That's why in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's not new when, when he said that we commit adultery in our hearts when we look at a woman in a lustful manner. But, but there's more. There's more. Sin is not just an action we commit or an attitude that we have, but it's also a nature we possess. We, we are born with a sinful bent. We are prone to sin. It, it's, it's who we are right out of the womb. We, we inherit this from, from the first human beings who sinned. Now, perhaps that doesn't seem fair, and, and I understand why you might feel that way, but the Bible is clear. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. After the law was instituted by God, the, the sacrificial system was then instituted so that people knew that their sin cost them something. They had to give up a perfect animal, right? not, not the sickly you know, animal that you know, skin and bones, they had to give up a perfect animal to sacrifice to pay for that sin. And that sacrifice was given to God as, as all sin is ultimately against God, the Creator. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If, if God is the Creator of everything, and He has deemed how things are to be, 
If we go against that decree, then we are in opposition to God. Sin, sin is serious. Sin is serious. And, and we do feel the seriousness of this. When, when we sin, we either, we either want to hide, right? hide the fact that we've committed it, or, or we feel we have to pay something for committing it, or, or we feel the need to be punished in some way. And, and this, this, this little talk on sin sets the stage for our text in Matthew 9. So as usual, we'll look at three different things today from this text. The problem of sin, the possibility of forgiveness, and the potential of new life. Okay, the problem of sin, the potential of forgiveness, and, or the possibility of forgiveness and the potential of new life. So let's keep on topic with the problem of sin. Let me read those first two verses again. Matthew, two, Matthew 9, 1 to 2. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus crossed back over the Sea of Galilee, right, after he was rejected, remember last week, from delivering those two men from the oppression of demons. He's back in Capernaum. And as he is back, word must have spread, and a few people bring a paralyzed man on his bed to Jesus. Now, we can note a few things here. First, Jesus sees their faith. Jesus is a good discerner of faith. He, he saw the, the great faith of the centurion. Right When he says, you don't have to come to my house, just say the word, he'll be healed. We saw the, he saw the little faith of the disciples in the boat. And now he sees the faith of these four people and the paralyzed man on the bed. Their, their faith was demonstrated by their actions and willingness to carry this man to Jesus. Also, the paralytic must have had an anticipation to go. Perhaps it was his idea. We can assume he is included in Jesus' assessment when he says he saw their faith. He doesn't say the four men bringing the guy. He says their faith, so that includes the guy on the bed. Second, it's clear so far that Jesus accepts all levels of faith as long as that faith is rooted in him. Faith of all sorts in all sorts of things, is popular. There's, there's, the, there's the slogan, believe in yourself. That's, that's faith in what you can do. There's, there's the belief in the greater good. That's, that's faith that collectively 
right? As a, as a world population, we can accomplish much. There's the, there's the belief in modern medicine. That's faith that, that we can be healed by, of many things through medical advancements. And there's nothing, nothing wrong in those things, but we must note that they can disappoint, fail, and they are always limited. The faith you have to develop and grow is your faith in Jesus. Your faith may be small, but don't belittle that faith when it's in Jesus. Even if it's small, even if it's small, it can move mountains because God the Son, Jesus, is all-powerful and unlimited. So after Jesus saw their faith, he said, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. There's a lot here in these eight words from Jesus to the paralytic. First, we assume that these four men are bringing this paralytic. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I do. That he's bringing, they're bringing their, their friend to be healed. And really, prior to this, prior to Jesus' statement, we don't have sin on our radar here. But the Jews knew that sin and disease or ailments were, were related. Now, that, that does not mean that all diseases or ailments are necessarily caused directly by our own sin. But, but the reason that, that maladies exist are because of our fallen world. Before sin, everything was good, very good, in fact. Now, not so much. Second, we assume that the biggest problem with this man on the stretcher is his paralysis. But it is entirely possible that this man believed that his biggest problem was his sin that he thought was what resulted in his condition. I'm prone to believe that this par paralyzed man believed his sin was his biggest problem because of Jesus' words to him. Because Jesus first told the man to take heart in relation to his sinfulness. Not his paralysis, but his sinfulness. Take heart. Matthew only uses this, 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 these two words. It's actually one word in the Greek. He only uses it twice in his, in his gospel account. Once, or sorry, three times, including this. Two other times. Once with the woman who was, uh, perhaps you're familiar, the one who was bleeding, had a bleeding problem for 12 years, and, and she desperately came up behind him and touched the, the, the edge of Jesus' garment, hoping to be healed. And when she touched the, the hem of his robe, Jesus turns to her and says, Take heart. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. The other time that's used is when Jesus is walking on the water. That, that, that's unusual. 
He's walking on the water toward his disciples who are, who are toiling in, in a boat. And they, they freak out because it's, it's, it's dark. It's nighttime. It's early hours of the morning. And, and they think Jesus is a ghost. And immediately Jesus calms them with his words. Take heart. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. So, so this take heart has the idea of, of real hope when there doesn't seem to be any. And not being afraid anymore with your present situation. So, so take heart kind of sounds like this. If we were to rephrase it, don't worry. I know your situation which seems hopeless, but everything is going to turn around now that I'm here, now that Jesus is here. You know, sometimes we need, we need to hear those words, don't we? Depending on what situation we might be going through, depending how, how little our faith might be. Now, if this man's biggest concern was his paralysis, then Jesus' declaration of his sins being forgiven was not very fitting after, take heart, and then calling him my son or my child, which is an expression of endearment. This man saw his deepest problem was his sin, and Jesus compassionately and lovingly addresses that problem. You know, if, if, a, if a paraplegic believed that his sin was his greatest problem in life, that says a lot, especially in a time before, before wheelchairs or workman's compensation. There was, there was no hope of a job for a crippled man. This man had to rely on the charity of others to survive. All he could do was beg. Yet he knew his biggest problem was his sin. We, we have to see our sin as our biggest problem too. It separates us from God. It distorts our view of God's world. It puts us in friction with others. It fills us with guilt and shame. It separates us from who we really are as image bearers of God. It destroys our lives if left untreated. And it leads to eternal condemnation and damnation. And the problem is that we're blind to our sin. Listen to David's prayer at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me or wicked way in me 
and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to pray this often because sin is our biggest problem. And we need to be aware of it. But thankfully, thankfully, forgiveness is possible. Let's let's look at it. Let's look at the possibility of forgiveness. With, With Jesus, forgiveness is possible where it matters most. Let's face it, sometimes forgiveness seems seems out of reach when it comes to getting it from someone else. Grudges go on for years within families and even get passed down to generations. Movies about revenge are popular and get us fired up. If anyone could justifiably hold a grudge, it's God. Because he's never at fault. He's perfect. And and we are, as we learned, sinful. But Jesus shows that forgiveness is possible through him. Jesus saw this man's deepest need and met it with forgiveness. This is what this man wanted. This is This is what this man needed. This is what we all need. We all need our sins to be forgiven because we are sinful, whether we are suffering right now because of it, like this paralytic, or or not, or if we're doing okay. Now, Now the text continues to show us the reality of this forgiveness. Let me read verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. So there's some religious leaders there, and they hear Jesus pronounce this man's sins forgiven. And they know, as good students of the Old Testament, which was the Bible of the day. There's no New Testament yet. They know that only God can forgive sins. So they equate this to to blasphemy. Blasphemy is, is when you ascribe to yourself the powers that only belong to God alone. And Jesus sees what's going on here, and he asks his first question. Verse 4. But Jesus knowing or discerning their, their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? And so instead of the religious leaders making a connection between Jesus' authority, right? they're seeing his authority being played out in Capernaum. Instead of making that connection between Jesus' authority and God, they pronounce blasphemy. Why? Well, Jesus' authority threatens their authority. This is the beginning of the authority battle between Jesus and the religious leaders in Matthew's account of the the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's It's the very beginning. 
Matthew plays this out more than any of the other writers of the Gospels does. Why? Because Matthew's big theme, if, if you remember, is the authority of Jesus. And they're in direct opposition toward it. That's why Jesus gets no response from his first question. So he asks another, typical Jesus. Verse 5. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Again, no answer. If the scribes did answer, what do you think they'd say? What do you think they'd say? They, they would probably say, if they're listening to how Jesus phrases this, they'd probably say, it's e well, it's easier to say, like from your mouth, to say, your sins are forgiven. Because who's to know if, that's person's, if that person's sins are really forgiven, right? It's hard to say, rise and walk. Because you have to have some evidence to follow that, right? And so Jesus concludes with verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Praise the Lord for that. Then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. This is so beautifully done by Jesus. He heals the man's paralysis in order to prove that his sins have been forgiven. Forgiveness of your sins is possible but only through faith in Jesus. Right? The paralytic put all his faith in Jesus to be healed from the sins that he believed caused his paralysis. You know what's also beautiful here? When we seek forgiveness from someone we always, have to, we always have to ask for it, don't we? In some cases, plead for it. But Jesus forgives freely. The man had faith, and I believe he wanted to ask Jesus about his sins being forgiven, but Jesus looks right into his heart and sees his, his repentant heart Right? His heart that is turned away from sin. And he grants him forgiveness. You know what? Even if this man was never healed from his paralysis, after his sins were forgiven, he would have still been blessed. I'm reminded of Romans 4, 7-8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The blessed person is the forgiven person. And everyone who is in Christ by faith alone is forever forgiven and blessed. We as believers, we, we sin, but there's, there's no limit 
to Jesus' forgiveness. Right? He, he is, he is as, as John says in his letter, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right? He, he is faithful in that he will always forgive. And he is just in doing so because of that sacrifice for sin that he made on the cross for all who will believe. Remember I told you sin costs something? And that the Jews had to give perfect animals from their possession? That's like, for us that would be like, that would be like money for us. They would have to give it up to sacrifice for their sins. Well, that process was only pointing ahead to the cost that that we could never pay for our sins. A cost we could never pay. But the perfect Son of God, Jesus, He would willingly give up His life to pay for the sins of all who would believe. But it doesn't stop there with only forgiveness, although that would be enough. But through the forgiveness of sins, through Christ, there is the potential of new life. The potential of new life. Let me read the last two verses. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Jesus did not just heal this man's paralysis for the sake of the scribes, to prove to them what he could do. Jesus showed this formerly paralyzed man that there was new life with his forgiveness. Since Jesus equated this man's paralysis with his sin, he gave him new life when his sins were forgiven by restoring his mobility. One commentator put it well, when sin is dealt with, resurrection is not far behind. Some of us believe our sins are forgiven, but don't believe that there is new life for us to live. That's the equivalent of the paralytic saying to Jesus after he was told, rise and walk. That would be the equivalent of him saying, but I can't. I'm a paralytic. It's who I am. But listen to me, if you have put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have new life ahead of you, and you need to rise and walk in that newness of life. You don't need to be defined by your past or present sins. You're not guilty anymore. You don't have to keep living in that sin that entangles you. It has lost its sting. You don't have to live in some bad narrative that your family tree dealt you. You have new life ahead. You don't have to follow the easy, broad way of the world because because you think that you don't have enough strength or power to go against it and go God's ways. 
You have the new life in Christ. In Christ, you can know Him and the power of His resurrection today, right now, by choosing to rise and walk in your forever forgiven and lavishly loved state. Romans 6, 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Start walking in newness of life with resurrection power and and encourage one another, encourage one another to walk in that newness of life with you. Let us pray. Father, our sin is serious. Not only for the one who does not have Christ, and oh how serious that sin is, for it leads to destruction and condemnation and damnation, and only through Christ will they have forgiveness and no condemnation. But it's serious for us who are in Christ too. For it can often keep us entangled, even though it has no power any longer. It can often keep us empowered. It can keep us in a false narrative that is no longer true because of what Christ has done. And we miss out on walking in that newness of life. Father, would today be the day that each one of your children who are in Christ alone, would today be the day if they've been stuck in their sin, would today be the day that they walk in newness of life. Oh, how we want to live in that resurrection power. Oh, how we need to rise and walk before an unbelieving world. And it's not just for their benefit, but it's for ours. That we might have that life that is the life Christ wants for us. A life of great abundance. Father, empower us, encourage us, help us to encourage one another to rise and walk. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.